0: I'm going to read a couple of lines from Matthew chapter 15. Um, This is a, a story involving Jesus and a woman, and as you will notice, she comes from a place called Tyre and Sidon. It's a region in the Holy Land, and if you ever look at one of those maps you find, say, in the back of a Bible, Tyre and Sidon would be along the coast, okay, up high along the coast, so kind of roughly parallel to where the Sea of Galilee is, but then off on the shores of the Mediterranean Sea. It is a very old city. It was there for at least a couple thousand years before Jesus first visited, so a long, deep history, and it was at times a very powerful city and also the center of a very powerful uh, religious community, but not you know the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but a rival, and often um, trouble happened out of Syrophen- uh, out of Tyre and Sidon. Uh, you may recall if you ever read those stories in the um, in the Book of Kings. You had King Ahab, and he married a queen named Jezebel, and she made a lot of trouble because she took along not only her royal court but her royal religion too, and it was. The religion of Tyre and Sidon, which is where she came from, so this was a, a place kind of associated with uh, with trouble, with people abandoning the faith and going to a new one. So, here comes a woman from Syro. Um, it's called. Uh, she's the Canaanite woman from the region of Tyre and Sidon, and she has a plea. She brings a plea to Jesus. So here it is, uh, Matthew chapter fifteen. Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him crying out, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. Jesus did not answer her, so his disciples came to him and urged him, Send her away, for she keeps crying out for us. And he answered, I have come only to the lost sheep of Israel. The woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me, she said. And he replied, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Yes, it is, she said. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. And then Jesus said, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed at that moment. So that's the reading. This is the Word of God. Do you, um, do you know what the, na- the word patriarchy means? I, I'm kind of I'm assuming you do. It, depending on where you, um, wh- where you work and, and the people you know, you will hear that word an awful lot or maybe not much at all. Patriarch is one of those long English words that comes from two short Greek ones. Uh, Pater, which means father, and then arche, which means power or control. So pater, arche, patriarchy, it means that father is in control. Father makes all the big decisions. Father controls the money. And nowadays, more generally, it means that men um, are in control, that men make all the um, big decisions, and that men are in control of the money. Um, I looked up the uh, dictionary definition a little while ago, and and here's what I found. Patriarchy, a social system in which positions of dominance and privilege are primarily held uh, by men. Now, depending on who you know and depending on who you ask, uh, patriarchy um, is either dead and gone or it's still here with us. And it depends on who you ask. You might hear that women have made huge advances in the last 100 years or so. And and so the world is completely different now. Women have the right to vote. They can hold public office. They can, uh, you know, serve in corporate boards. They can serve in the military. They can even fly in space. Or, depending on who you ask, you'll hear that patriarchy is still everywhere because all those gains people talk about, they are superficial. Yes, we know women are in politics and in business and on TV, But it's mostly show behind the scenes where things really get decided, men are in control and men have all the money. Or, depending on who you ask, uh, patriarchy is going away, but it's still, you know, not totally gone yet. In other words, the glass is either half empty or half full. And you have to decide whether you're going to be happy with the progress or angry that progress is so slow. And here's a tough one. Depending on who you ask, patriarchy is all over the Bible. You know, 12 tribes of Israel, all named after men. You know, all those Old Testament prophets are men. The 12 disciples, all men. And women, they're told to know their place and be quiet. Or, depending on who you ask, the Bible is the book that sets women free. And, 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 and honors them and honors all people from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. Sound right? Well, on this one, the Bible is a bit mixed, Yes, it has patriarchy. There is no question there. After all, this book was written a long time ago. I mean, the newest parts of the Bible are 2,000 years old. And yes, that was a time when men were almost always in charge. But that does not mean that women are commanded to be second, to know their place, and to be quiet. I mean, the Apostle Paul said that, that... You know, in this new faith, you know, there's neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, nor are there male or female, for we are all one in Christ. All of God's children can receive the gifts of the Spirit. All God's children are commanded to use the gifts they've received to serve Christ and others. Slave or free, Jew or Greek, women and men. And then there's something else that kind of runs through the whole Bible, and this is where we go today. You can't help noticing, as you read through those stories of the Bible that were in that patriarchal world, you can't help noticing this long line of women who had a way of making things happen. And not just women only, but other people that were sort of outside the system of power and control. I mean, they did not occupy positions of authority. They were not at the top of the organizational chart. But they got things done. And you could say they got things done by the sheer force of their personalities. Jesus once told a story And we call it the the parable of the persistent widow. It's in uh, in the Gospel of Luke. Now this woman, this widow, she had no man to protect her. No husband, no father, no big brother with big muscles who can hurt you. No, she had no connection to people, to the right people. And in that time, she also had no widow's pension and no life insurance payout. So it all sounds really helpless, doesn't it? And yet this widow had one thing that made all the difference. Persistence. She was as stubborn as a mule. You know, in Jesus' story, she was cheated in in some way. She was robbed. And and she goes to a judge and, and she says, Grant me justice against my adversary. And the problem here was, as Jesus tells the story, the problem is this judge feared neither God nor cared what people thought. So he was not going to waste his time on some some widow. I mean, work late for you? I mean, are you kidding? No, leave now. And when you go, close the door quietly. But that widow, she she wasn't taking no for an answer. She came back again with her demand. Give me justice. And, And when he refused, she came back again. And again, she kept coming back to demand fair treatment. She was waiting for the judge first thing in the morning. She barged into the lunchroom. She wrecked his schedule. She followed him on the way home. She got on his nerves. She haunted his dreams Until finally, as Jesus tells the story, finally he caved. And he said, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice. Now, I do not know where to to put this widow on the organizational chart of people in charge but no one is going to call her weak. She got things done. And they were good things, too. She did justice. And she wasn't the only one. You can read through the Bible, and you can put together a whole list of candidates for the Women of Power Award. You know, Sarah, the wife of Abraham, Rebecca, the wife of Isaac, Deborah, the judge, Ruth, and her mother-in-law, Naomi, Esther, the three New Testament Marys. I mean, none of these women held high office, and none of them were helpless either. They were just too stubborn and too tough, and they got things done. Well, now let's look at this woman in our reading. She came to Jesus and she asked for help. She said, you know, my daughter is, is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. Now, in that New Testament period, uh, when people were called demon-possessed, that, that kind of presented symptoms that we, we, could, we could recognize today. I mean, in, in, in some cases, it could look like a, a severe, uh, untreated uh, mental illness. You know, a patient would howl and scream and tear their clothes, and it'd be a danger to themselves or a danger to others. In other cases, and they're reported in the New Testament too, um, the, the, the demon-possessed person would be blind or unable to speak. That was also called a a thing of the demons. Now, we do not know what this daughter suffered, but we do know that she suffered terribly. And like any good mother, she came to the place where she could get help. She said, Jesus, help me. My daughter suffers terribly. Now, the main part of the story we just read, the main part is this conversation, a kind of three-way conversation between three parties, between uh, the woman between, and Jesus' disciples and, and Jesus himself. And it can be a kind of confusing thing when you read it. it. It sounds like people are talking past each other, but by the time you get to the end, it becomes clear. And if you go by, you know, the pattern of the Bible, it looks kind of familiar too, because a person with no position of power, she gets things done. So the woman calls for help again and again, and the disciples say, just send her away. She keeps crying after us. I mean, for the disciples, this woman was a, a pest and a nuisance and she doesn't matter anyways why should she matter? I mean after all she is a Canaanite she comes from the region of Tyre and Sidon she's one of those people who lived there before people of Israel came into the land and conquered it and before then those Canaanites they had their own gods. And they worshiped their own to follow their own religion. And then after Israel entered the land and after they conquered it, then those Canaanites they kept their gods. And those Canaanite gods became a headache and a, and a temptation that kept stealing God's people away from the one true faith. And she's one of them. Send her away. And then Jesus says something sort of curious. He said, I, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. Now, he might be saying that to the disciples. He might be saying that to the woman. But either way, it kind of says this shepherd takes care of his, his sheep only, which says to the woman, I'm here for my sheep. I'm here for my people, not, not for you. You, you are not on my pastoral care list. But, but the woman pleads again, Lord, help me. And, and then Jesus says something that sounds even more cold and, and unfeeling. He says, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. And it's like, ouch. And then we have the Best line in the story. The Canaanite woman says, Yes, Lord, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. Now, this is a mother talking. She has fed children at the table, and she knows what happens when you're feeding the little ones at the table it gets messy. And you know who else knows that? The dog knows that. The family dog is an expert on food falling from the table. And that's why he's always around at mealtimes. And usually parked by the chair of the messiest eater in the family. Been there, done that. So there's something really fascinating going on here. In a sort of odd dog at the table sort of way... This Canaanite woman is kind of making a like a a profession of her faith, saying, This I believe. She's saying, First, that I believe that there is wonderful food at the table of Jesus. What Jesus offered is it is so good that it can even heal my demonically possessed. Daughter, it can make her whole. If she can have just one small bite, then she'll then she'll be my beautiful daughter again. Not this, not this tortured person I see now. And then, second, the Canaanite woman is saying that there's plenty of food at this table. There's an abundance. There's more than enough for for everyone. It's it's like one of those. One of those restaurants, you know, where the food is fantastic. And and the paying customers are sitting in these very comfortable booths under soft lights. And they eat as much as they want and often too much. And meanwhile, in the back, behind the swinging doors, there's more than they can sell. And so the extra goes to people who can't pay. There are such places. And the Canaanite woman knows that. And if the dogs can have the scraps, then why not my daughter? There's so much here. And the third, the woman is saying, um, I may not be invited to this meal. I may ha- not have a reservation in this restaurant, but I'm here anyway. And I'm not going away. There's enough for me. I will wait. I will wait Like a dog waits at the table close to the messiest eater in the family. Something's going to come my way. You know, it's fascinating that that this Canaanite woman had a a kind of understanding, without even knowing it in, in detail, but she had a kind of understanding into the deeper purposes of God. The the conventional thinking at that time was that the Messiah, the Christ, would, would come for the people of Israel and restore their kingdom to its glory, its old glory, and that he would bless the sons and daughters and the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, the Canaanite woman understood that, yes, but she hoped that other people would also be blessed in that unfolding. And actually, that turns out to be the big story of our New Testament. It's the message we hear over and over and over that God's grace and favor are not just for his own, but for every tribe and tongue and people and nation on the earth. This, this cagey, wily, smarter than you think, that Canaanite woman, she knew the plans of God better than the experts. And Jesus knew what to call that. He, he, there's almost something like awe in his voice. He says, "Woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted, and you are welcome." Welcome to the great banquet. Feast at my table. This is for you. This is for your daughter. And this is for all men and women of great faith. So here we have it. A mother with no official position. No social status. Probably no money. But she knows where the rich people live. And for her, Jesus is rich in his own very special, very special way. Because he's rich in a way that really matters so much more than the sugary comfort foods of the world. No, with Jesus, just drink his water and you will never thirst again. Eat his food and your deepest hungers will be satisfied. And 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 if Jesus feeds his own people more than they need then there'll obviously be extra for me. She's counting on it. And I can imagine her looking at Jesus with that sly smile and a wink in her eye and says, "Jesus, I know your food is so good and you are so rich. You can feed whole armies with your leftovers. So, how about my daughter?" She could use some too. So, this is another example of the power of the powerless, the strength of the weak. It's one of those upside-down things, and you hear it so many times in the Bible. In the kingdom of Jesus, the first will be last, and the last will be first. The greatest must become the servant, and the servant will be lifted up. Adults have to become like children. It's all backwards and upside-down, and it's exactly the way it's supposed to be. It's like Jesus takes our organizational flow charts, you know, with one person in the box on the top of the chart, and then a couple of people branching down underneath into their power boxes, and then below them another row of people off of each of those boxes into their power boxes, and in the end you get this kind of upside down tree of power arrangements. An organizational chart. And Jesus says, Well, sure, if If it's important to you, okay. But what you really need is faith and hope and love. But it has to be a sure faith and a constant hope and a stubborn love. And it has to be born out of the spirit of Jesus. That's that's what you really need. You know, years after Jesus, um, during the Reformation, the, the great reformer, Martin Luther, he pushed an idea that he called the priesthood of all believers. Now, the common idea in his time was that God's grace came only through the work of, of, of like church officials, through the priesthood. Okay, so if you wanted to live in grace, you had to be baptized by a church official. If you committed a serious sin and you wanted forgiveness, you had to confess to a church official so that he could officially absolve you. And when you died, you had to be properly blessed and buried by the church so that you could rest in peace. So the grace of God came through this official hierarchical system. And that was the common thinking at the time. And Luther rebelled against that. He said, every man is a priest. Every woman is a priest. We have a priesthood, <coughs> priesthood of all believers. Anyone can ask God for forgiveness. Anyone can plead for his grace. And anyone can expect it too." directly from heaven without some official middleman, you know, you know, taking a commission. But By grace you are saved through faith, through faith alone, and that is enough. Well, I have to think that this wily Canaanite mother would make a very good Lutheran. She dared to take matters into her own hands and approach Jesus by herself. And what did Jesus say? He said, woman, you have great faith. Now you and I, we have that same permission. We're allowed. We're allowed to ask him for grace and forgiveness for a new beginning and a new life. So, you can do it. Will you do it? Will you come to him and say, Lord, I need your grace and that peace that passes all understanding and the love that is beyond all knowledge. I ask you, Lord, and trust that you will receive that I will receive from the abundance of your house. Let's pray together. Dear Lord, we see someone who dared to believe that grace was available to her. And Lord, in that weakness, she was so strong. In that powerlessness, she was so mighty. Oh Lord, give us that trust, that faith, that great faith. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.